Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Welcome to Development Hell. For every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Korngut. I am the managing editor of Dread Central. I am also a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Development Hell. Today, we are on our third chapter of our Camp is Cancelled miniseries. Last week, we covered the Nick and Costa 2015 failed reboot that was pretty incredible. And today, we're going to follow that up with the next iteration of Platinum Dune's failed follow-up to the 2009 reboot. I'm really excited to get into it. As always, we have our co-counselor, co-host, co-extraordinaire, Jinx. Jinx, how's it going? Hey Josh, uh I don't uh I don't know how you feel, but uh I don't know, does it feel a little uh a little chilly out here now? Oh, I don't yeah, know. Maybe I'm feeling that. Feels like uh, I don't know, maybe it could snow any second. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm feeling very festive, very jolly, and actually on that note, yeah, we're digging in to Jason in the Snow. It's not the first time you and I have talked about a project that features Jason in the Snow. The first chapter of Cam is cancelled. We did Jason Never Dies, so that was one of the Jason in the Snow scripts. Last week, the Nick and Costa version ends with a bit of a tease of Jason in the Snow. And today we're going to get into what I think is sort of the most famous or infamous cancelled Jason in the Snow project, Camp Blood, The Death of Jason Voorhees. How do we feel about that? Um... (laughs) You know, 
I just want to ask you, Josh, right up top, <laughs> why is it that fandom as a whole just seems to have kind of a raging hard on for seeing Jason Voorhees mm-hmm. in the snow? Like it's mm-hmm. it, it, Friday the 13th is all about being set at summer camp. Sometimes just after summer camp, sure. Why do we need to see this big behemoth stomping around in the so? Like, how often have you ever wanted to see Michael Myers at Thanksgiving or Christmas? You know, it's so funny that you say that. My answer is yes. Although, yeah, I guess traditionally Jason belongs in the summer at camp. But I think just the image of blood in the snow, Jason wandering through a snowy woods. I think once fans got a whiff that that could have been on the table, it's just so epic. No? Yeah, I guess. Let's 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 check out Leatherface in New England while we're at it. Why no, not? Leatherface. I okay, Leatherface, you know, I'm breaking the rules of what I just discussed, but no, Leatherface has to be summertime sadness. But Jason, I don't know. You know that he's in the woods all year long. What is he up to? What is he doing? What's he? What kind of trouble is he getting into? What does Billy from Black Christmas do at Easter? Let's see. <laughs> I like that. Oh my God, Billy should go to Mexico and just like live his life. He'd love it. <laughs> I, you know, um, I for all the snark, I do actually think the idea of seeing a slasher in the snow is kind of fantastic. And if it's got to be anybody, it might as well be Jason Voorhees. It might as well be Jason. And you know, we have this pretty amazing film festival here in Toronto called Blood in the Snow. And there's just something so visceral, so striking about, like, carnage and snow that I think would just be sort of the root thesis image of what Jason, you know, in winter would be. I mean, I think one of the greatest slasher set pieces of all time is set set in the snow. Have you ever seen the movie Curtains? I have not, but I'm familiar. Oh, Josh, Josh, Josh. I know. You you need to watch Curtains. Everyone out there. Yes, if you uh, if the idea of a slasher in the snow is exciting to you, there curtains is a fun movie overall. But there is one sequence that is an all timer. I'm not going to describe it. Just go no. and watch it, and you're welcome. I'm excited, and at the end of today, I'm going to force you to talk a little bit more about our favorite snow set horror, and maybe I'll convince you to paint more of a picture there because I want to see it. And also, I've seen the mask from that movie, and it's weird as hell. It's fucking scary. It is. It is. It's a good movie. It really is. The ending is fucking bug nuts insane, but I love it. Uh, you know, you can't beat cerebral, low-budget Canadian horror. There's just something special about it. And speaking of low-budget horror, I thought maybe since today's main topic being Camp Blood, the death of Jason Voorhees, this is going potentially to be the follow-up to Friday the 13th, 2009. And it was also written by our friends, Damian Shannon and Mark Swift, who wrote Friday the 13th, 09, as well as writing on Freddy versus Jason. Um, What am I saying? Uh, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about Friday the 13th, the reboot. Are you into that? Uh, I mean, sure. That's a reboot that um, (laughs) it's tits are stupendous uh, mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. nipple placement is perfect <laughs> it is nipple uh placement is perfect it's just yeah i'm sorry i'm quoting the movie i'm yes not actually... yes yes and the movie's <laughs> nipples are pretty good they're very symmetrical as they go um, it's a silly movie it has its ups and its downs i used to love it i used to think like this was one of the best friday the 13th movies and then you know as as time goes by things change but i'm excited to talk about it today So if it's okay with you, Jinx, maybe I'll just give a little bit of a seminar, a little bit of a refresher 
on Friday the 13th, 2009. Uh, no matter how breezy your synopsis is going to be, you have to include where the fuck are you, gun? Just if you could. <laughs> Well, you know, as always, I'm going to make you actually talk about what the film is about because it's just easier if I do that. But I will say the reboot is from 2009 from director Marcus Nispel and writers Damien Shannon, Mark Swift, and Mark Wheaton. Marcus Nispel, interesting character. This is also the director of the first, I believe, Platinum Dooms remake, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, Very nasty movie. This is also a very nasty movie. Kind of nice to see them bringing out to play. Um, once again, this movie stars Jared Padalecki with his swooshy hair, Danielle Panabaker, Amanda Rigetti. I'm sorry if I'm butchering your names. You were butchered by Jason, so you're going to be fine with it. And then, of course, <laughs> Travis Van Winkle, who just looks like a Travis Van Winkle. Am I wrong? He, I mean, if any man earned that name. <laughs> it's him. <laughs> Yeah, he, I have uh, to say I love him in it though. I think oh, that like his performance is excellent, it. and I love the role. I think his it, this movie dabbles a little bit into the territory that Nick and Costa's script succeeded fully in, where they take these tropes established in the eighties and try to subvert it a little bit. And you see that with this Travis Van Winkle's character, where he's this like douchey bro who is just a douchey bro, but like kind of in a self aware way and kind of is a bit of a wink to the trope and i appreciated that um yeah yeah he's 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 he is like the ultimate douchebag he is every douchebag that was ever in an 80s movie (laughs) brundle pod teleported into one yes and then you know Would you not say that he's a little likable? Just a little bit, even though he's so horrible? Oh, no, not remotely, Josh. No, I I thought he was like a man. I (laughs) I relate to him, like, not wanting his friends to break his nice place. That's me. I'm like, take the pot smoke outside. Um, So this movie was originally meant to be an origin story, Snooze, but did end up being a bit of a prequel, requel, remake, and I'm okay with it. It made $94 million against a $19 million budget, which I think is probably just enough to scrape by on working on a sequel. This is not exactly like a catastrophe success. Like this is not ginormous by any means, but it did fairly well. It's not a period piece, unlike what had been the previous Platinum Doom efforts. So I'm talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was in the 70s. I'm talking about the Amityville Horror, which also took place in the 70s. You'd think that they were going to put Friday the 13th in the 80s, and they didn't. And I think, you know, that's neither here nor there. It was going to be directed by Sir Jonathan Lipson, or Libsman. Am I saying that right, Jenks? It's hard to know. Who? who uh, Liebsman? Maybe. Jonathan Liebsman, who I believe directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning, the sequel to the remake? Uh, the prequel, yes. The prequel, of course, of course. But for some reason, it didn't work out, so they went with Nispel, who I think is the stronger choice. So good for Nispel. Um, a bit of trivia about Marcus Nispel. He was actually going to direct the film, which is the whole reason I started this podcast to begin with, American Mickey's Alice, the scary Alice in Wonderland adaptation that was originally going to be Wes Craven's child, and then Marcus Nispel was going to take over around 2005, and it never happened. So that's a little bit of development hell trivia right there. It's interesting. Jinx. He was also uh, he was also going to do a version of Hack Slash, the uh, oh. 
the long in development comic book adaptation. It still hasn't gotten off the ground, but I think he would have been kind of the ideal director for it. Uh, Todd Lincoln, I think, was going to do a version of it too, mm. and I think his version would have been probably even better. But why there hasn't been a hack slash movie, I have no idea. Well, maybe we're going to have to cover it one day on this podcast if we you'll should do be it. Allowing of it, Jinx, please. I'm sorry, but what would you say Friday the Thirteenth, two thousand and nine, is about? Josh, I would say it's pretty much about what every Friday the 13th movie is about. I don't know that there's enough plot to actually cover here. So there is a group of kids that run afoul of Jason Voorhees in the longest prologue pre-title sequence any horror movie ever had. I think it's something like 27 minutes, and I love that because it's so damn insane. It's like you get a mini- Friday the 13th, but you, you don't get one Friday the 13th movie with this movie. You get three, you, get three. you know, you, you get the end of the, you know, there's a, there's a sped up remake of the ending of the original movie at the very head of this film. Then there is this massive prologue sequence that sets up all these characters that get killed in, you know, astonishingly brutal ways. And it sets up our final girl question mark. Um, and mm-hmm. then we finally get the title sequence, damn near 30 minutes in, and then the movie proper begins with another group of kids mm-hmm. that are basically going out to a cab and they're going to hang out. Of course, they're going to run afoul of pot farming Jason Voorhees, and uh, kind of a monkey wrench is thrown into everybody's weekend when uh, Sam Winchester from Supernatural pops up looking for a sister who turns out to be the girl from the opening prologue who is still alive and being kept in Jason's underground john rambo vietnam cave system airbnb yeah that he's carved out underground and uh hijinks ensue Mm, mm -hmm. and uh you know i do think the movie is a hell of a lot of fun i think it's beautifully made it has that you know I, i there was a book once that described uh this era of horror both you know the platinum dune style remakes the big studio movies but also like the french new wave like you know the extreme horror that that country was giving us at the time uh they described it all as having this look of like a beautiful bruise you know lots of purples lots of yellows lots of it's gritty and gorgeous at the same time and that's definitely friday the 13th 2009 in many ways oh Uh, for sure i do think derek mears is actually really great jason uh i think early on when they uh they announced the making of the film. They said that they weren't really going supernatural with Jason. They wanted him to be more like a John Rambo. He's kind of like a survivalist that lives mm-hmm. off the land. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of dig that. I think he's really threatening. I think he's scary. I love the fact that he can run, uh, that he's this hulking figure. Um, don't really know if I care for the long hair that much. It's kind of uh, gross. Yeah, it's just kind of, eh, well, okay, that's a choice. Do you think uh, he'd, like, hook up with Laurie Strode 2018? Like, do you think they'd, like... What what do you, what do you like, like have sex like what do you yeah do you think they'd like be a couple I you know they could bond over their shared trauma because <laughs> yeah. Laura no doubt would want to talk about that um, oh, yeah and they'd both drink it out yeah oh totally it's they they get hammered you know maybe shit would happen who knows mm-hmm. um <laughs> this is a weird route we've gone down <laughs> and I love it um, uh, but no I I do enjoy the movie i think it's a lot of fun it does seem to take all of the best elements from a lot of the early friday the 13th movies and kind of smashes them all into one it feels like i think somebody described it once as a kind of sped up remake of the first four friday the 13th movies and i can't really argue with that but i tell you who does want to argue with that josh do you want to know Mm -hmm. the writers shannon and swift 
apparently they somehow some way see friday the 13th 2009 as they've noted on twitter as not being a remake not being a reboot they saw this movie as being a sequel well they're wrong that paid homage to the originals josh do they see the opening credits because i don't know could anybody consider this a remake or a reboot? I, I'm convinced. And here's the thing. Like, Shannon and Swift, I don't know if you're listening, but if you are, hey, um, I, I I love Freddy vs. Jason. I think Friday the 13th, 2009 is a blast. I really like what they did with Baywatch. I think they're good writers. But if they think that their Friday the 13th mm-hmm. is a sequel, well, it yeah. doesn't even work as, you know, I tried to give them enough slack. I was like, you know what? Maybe they just see it as a sequel to the very first film. But that doesn't even work. So what no. the hell are they on? What are they thinking? What are they smoking? I don't know. It sounds to me like they're trying to Malcolm Gladwell it up with a little bit of revisionist history. But I think that they are just kind of lying out of their butts. I want to go back to this opening sequence, this 27-minute long teaser sequence, because it's just my favorite thing about this movie. And I think it's what made me love it so much upon initial release. And I think I'm not alone. I think a lot of horror fans were really like, loved the shock of all of a sudden you think these are your main characters and then they're just eliminated completely one by one. Um, And it has some of the best, maybe the best deaths of the whole film. And I'm going to jump into it. I'm going to have to say my favorite death in this entire movie has to be the girl cooked in the sleeping bag over the fire. It just looks like it hurts so much. If you put Jason Voorhees in a sleeping bag in the same frame, like just magic results. Yeah, you, you know, some sleeping bag deaths. Whether it's what is it? Is it Friday six or seven? Whether it's seven this and one X. Jason X, like that one's a blast. I just it's yeah, Jason Voorhees, sleeping bag, solid gold. Hell yes. And then they also take it without the sleeping bag in the Encosta script where he just takes a human and just <laughs> smashes them against a tree. I love you, Jason. You're a good guy, and I just like how you work. Um, (laughs) So yeah, my favorite deaths in this film have to be when he fucking cocoons the girl in the sleeping bag and then hoists it over the fire and cooks her slowly, and you hear her crackle and scream, and it's just a horrifying nightmare. Jinx, what what are your favorite deaths in this movie? Ooh, good question. Um, Honestly, the one that always pops up to me when I think about it, it's not really even a death, kind of. But there is this moment when, uh, well, especially it's not a death considering how the movie ends. But when Jason is initially dispatched at the very end, there's this kind of weird thing where his body is resting, but the blades, like his head is sort of lulling. And you're hearing this like, I don't know. There's something just so bizarre and strange about that. And I, I love that. Uh, uh, it's probably a boring kill to mention because it's not really even a kill. I guess beyond that. The one that I appreciate the most, uh, it's not terribly creative, uh, and I would argue that a lot of the kills in this movie really aren't all that creative. They're just quick and brutal and, you know, fair. That's a choice. But Daniel Panabaker's character getting killed kind of unceremoniously, like this is somebody even more so than the sister character, like Panabaker's character is set up as being like, she's the good girl. She's the nice girl. She is the Laurie Strode in this movie. She is clearly the final girl. She ticks damn near every box you need to to be a final girl and uh she she doesn't make it she gets dispatched about 20 minutes before the end credits love i loved to see that that was pretty phenomenal yeah brave brave move okay something that i noticed on this rewatch is 
I'm assuming you're a fan of Behind the Mask. Oh, I adore Behind the Mask. This movie, <laughs> the setup is like literally 100% exactly the same as Behind the Mask, including the way that Jason kind of gets dispatched at the end, where his, like, his head gets kind of crushed. And I don't know, it just felt like really, really by the numbers, like <laughs> horror slasher archetype down to the like down I mean, to the roots i believe this history character is her name whitney uh i think at one point she actually picks up jason's machete which uh leslie vernon from behind the mask would note as uh you know her empowering herself with cock the, the phallus so. yeah the cock <laughs> god i love that movie where's that sequel we've covered it it's never gonna happen it hurts me but you're right it's not gonna uh yeah no I, I i can see that definitely you know it takes place in a barn certainly and uh but you know a lot of the early friday movies were too so it's like you know i i love how art is continually evolving and sort of mm-hmm. you know uh calling back to the past you know leslie vernon probably ended in such a space because you know the early friday the 13th movies did and it, it was definitely commenting mm-hmm. on those early slashes but now and we get 2009 that's kind of like well, is it referencing the original Friday the 13th? It's a snake eating its own tail. But exactly. The house, like when the, when the lights go out and he's standing on the roof and it's like, it's, I just, it really hits all of the beats of Behind the Mask and it does really feel like the snake is now devouring its own tail and I'm not complaining. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I, I worked at a movie theater at the time this movie came out and opening weekend was just insane like loads of people wanted to come out and watch this film and i think it's opening weekend was something like did it do like 25 million maybe um something like that or no no i think it was maybe even like 40 million wow uh, doubling its budget so you know good on it for doing that so yeah a sequel kind of seemed like a no-brainer you would think and yet here we we are here we are 13 years later um and, nothing. Uh, Nada. Zilch. Nothing. Dead water. What? Um. Before we move on into the sequel that never was, or another iteration of the sequel that never was, Jinx, can we just give our overall thoughts on, you know, we rewatched it again for this, for this episode today, and I don't know about you, but my opinions on this film evolved over the years, so I'm just wondering, where do you land with this film? How... How do you like it now? I think, uh, you know, it's still fun. I I think it's, again, it's a very well-made slasher. Uh, It's a good riff on all of the early Friday movies. Uh, It's a fun time. You know, it's maybe a tad long for what it is, you know. Uh, But yeah, yeah, no, I'd give it a thumbs up. I think it's one of the better entries. I kind of agree. I used to think it was like one of the top for a while there, I think for a while there, it was like maybe even my second favorite. Definitely not the case anymore. It's fun, but it definitely feels a little bit disposable now that the years have gone by. Uh, the characters are a little bit flatter. It's very of its time, but it moves at a rapid pace. I do enjoy these characters. The kills are brutal. And I think what really makes it rise above is that teaser sequence, that 30 minute opener. We'd never seen anything like that before. And I think it kind of tricked me back in 2009. I thought th- those were our characters. And when they all are completely grinded into schmush, I thought, you got me, girl. You got me. So <laughs> I'm a fan of Friday the 13th, 2009. Not as much as I used to be, but it deserves its place in the canon. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, pretty great sequel, 
as sequels go. Josh, how would that even work? <laughs> how would a sequel to the sequel to this reboot work? Is that what you're asking me? No, I just wanted like 2009. Like, come on, yeah, there's no, it's not a sequel. Oh, you're so mad that they're calling it a sequel. I am. I don't know, Jinx. I think that they're trying to gaslight us, and I don't appreciate it. And I, I know either. for a fact that they listen. No, I'm kidding. I have no idea. They probably don't. But you know, you say what you got to say in Hollywood. <laughs> maybe, maybe they convince themselves of this of the great lie. You know, who knows? You know, I will say this. I would totally have watched the sequel. I would have been fine with that. I will watch anything that this franchise puts out. This franchise could fart on a plate, and I'd be like, I'll give you $13 for that. So... Eh, Friday 5. (laughs) I would argue, and you don't agree with this, but Friday 9, that's the fart on the plate. Um, uh, And that's, you know, it's okay. We can have a opinion. No love for Jason Goes to Hell? None. Aw. I've seen it twice. Maybe I need to see it a third time, but... It's just such a snooze. Makes it's, me sad. It, Makes me sad. You know what it is? It's like, um, I pay like $20 a year for it because it's kind of like the call map. It like puts me to sleep and it's just, what am I talking about? I'm not a fan. I, uh, I will always love that movie because it was the first Friday the 13th movie, even though it wasn't a Friday the 13th movie. It was a Jason movie. New Line had it at that point, but it was the first Jason movie that I actually watched beginning to end by myself as a kid. And I just, uh, you know, I was kind of proud of myself. So I'm proud of you. Um, what a weird way. What a weird first one to do. Yeah. Oh, that's... Solo. And it's your origins, and I can't take that away from you. <laughs> um, speaking not of origins, Jinx, would you mind if we jumped a little bit into Camp Blood, The Death of Jason Voorhees, the unmade sequel to Friday the 13th, 2009? Let's do it. So, last week, we dug into what could have been a Platinum Dunes follow-up to this reboot, and wasn't. It seems to me, and I could be wrong, that there were at least three iterations of the project that tried to get on its feet and then fell on its face. And the one that we're talking about today, I believe, was the last one. There was a script, there was a production that was about six weeks away from going to cameras before Paramount pulled the plug. We were talking last week that maybe something, that maybe the failed Rings, third Ring American film had something to do with it. Paramount maybe got a little bit cold feet because one horror movie does bad, then no horror movies can be trusted. But, I mean, how could it not have something to do with the legal case? You know, it's just such a complicated tapestry, the Friday the 13th franchise, and we're going to talk about that now. So... Our friends, Damian Shannon and Mark Swift, they were the fellas that wrote Friday the 13th, 2009. They also wrote Freddy vs. Jason. They know their Jason lore, and they were hired in to come up with a pitch, with a script for this follow-up. Um, we also had a director come on board. I don't know if he was necessarily attached to the Swift-Shannon script, but we had Breck Eisner. This is the fella that... I'm saying fella too much today, but you know what? It is what it is. This is the guy that directed the Crazies remake, which I don't know about you, but I liked. I think it's pretty damn, scary. Damn good film, yeah. Damn good film. He's also directed a couple of not-so-great films, but I think the Crazies was enough for him to get this job, and I would have to agree that it would be. Um, and he was attached to direct the 2016 iteration. And it could have been, I doubt it would have been the Encosta script because that's what Bruckner was attached to. There was also one floating around from Aaron. Help me out here. 
It's like Guzikowski, maybe? Yes, Guzikowski. It could have been his script. It could have been the Swift script. It could have been the Shannon script. Who doesn't know? Who wrote, uh, I believe Aaron Guzikowski wrote, was it Prisoners, I believe? Yes, the, uh, it is. The Denis Villeneuve film, which is, uh, I mean, a hell of a script for that film. So it'd be fascinating. I would love to know more about his script for Friday mm-hmm. the 13th. I wonder if it's out there. I anywhere. think it is out there. I think it is out there. So maybe for Campus Canceled 2 next summer, you know, we'll finally get there. Uh, producer Brad Fuller was on quote in about 2014 saying that Jason might not actually even appear in this iteration, which to me sounds like, didn't you learn your lesson with part five? The fans aren't going to be happy. They'll be happy 30 years from now, like season of the witch, but don't fuck around. Put Jason in your movie. What you talking about Fuller? Like, how would you not have, what are you going to bring his mother back? Like how, what would that? Oh, uh, that would be the only way to do it. Or would there that would be, be the only way to do would it. there be another threat like uh, Elias? What's his name? What's the what was the father's uh, Elias? Name? I think Elias Voorhees. Maybe it was Ma Ma and Pa Voorhees. Is it Elias? Like Elias Coteus? I don't know something like that. Yes, I don't know where. I think maybe that character first arose in a comic. Or oh something. my god! It just occurred to me. I wonder if this is true, Josh. Uh huh. Did they name Jason Voorhees' father? After the actor who played Casey Jones, a character who wore a hockey mask in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I wouldn't put it past the nerds. This sounds like something the nerds would be responsible for, and I think we need to put them in prison. Bastards. Uh, it could have been, maybe, maybe Papa, Papa Voorhees was there. Maybe Mama Voorhees was there. We don't know for certain. But what we do know is in 2017... A bunch of the writers from this failed reboot did take to Twitter and posted some of their work. We know that we that's around the time that we got the Nick and Costa script. And it was also the time that our friends uh, Shannon and Swift... <gasps> Whoa! Oh my god, do you remember last week when I got really scared because I heard a scary noise? Yep. <laughs> it happened to me again. <coughs> falling apart. <laughs> falling apart and it's not going to be okay. And maybe I will. I hope I don't die on the air. J- Jason... No, stop. Um, I'm okay. Yeah, so it was in 2017 when a bunch of these writers did take to Twitter and posted some of the content from their script, be it the entire script themselves uh, or just a couple of pages, as was the case with Shannon and Swift. And we're going to get into that today. Um, Which, by is, the way, Josh, I need uh-huh. to ask you, you keep calling them our friends. Like, I uh, I don't think they're my <laughs> friends i should note i did try to take them the task on twitter over the whole sequel thing so well, that's why you're not friends yeah exactly it's your friends not my mine. friends my friends they are my friends they I, don't I'm, know it i'm willing to be their friend but no it sounds like you really just it sounds like you you really you really ruined that opportunity for us drinks might have enemies of the pod shannon and swift <laughs> um <laughs> around this time posted to twitter and this is when we found out a little bit more about their script we got the title page which dis- which gave us the full title and it's a doozy it's friday the 13th camp blood the death of jason Voorhees. <laughs> it's long ass fucking name uh, i wouldn't say uh, that that's uh, seo informed in any way but you know what work um it okay, is why, why does it need to be okay friday the 13th camp blood Fine. i like that friday the 13th the death of jason Voorhees. 
Fine. Why do we get this kitchen sink monstrosity of a title? It's bad. It's, bad. it's like it's like oh. a Marvel title at this point. Even Camp Blood, the death of Jason Voorhees, I'd, I'd kind of be into. And I would I, watch the hell out of Jason Voorhees in the Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> no, don't. Don't. I do it. Don't Marvel do it. up. Bring Jason. back Hotter. Bring back Mirrors. I guess so. Just like, I don't know. It's not my vibe. We could have a multi doctor um, special. Let's just get everybody back in from all of the previous movies. I mean, I'd like to see that with all the horror icons, but you know, one day. Uh, for those who know, for those who don't know, the original, like the very, very first Friday the Thirteenth film, originally was to be titled Friday the Thirteenth: A Long Night at Camp Blood. So I'm assuming this is kind of a riff on that. Would you agree? Why the fuck with these long titles? Like, do one title. You're good. Like, and as a journalist who ha- who has to get the full title into my headline, I really don't appreciate a long title because uh-huh. it gives me three words left for the rest of my headline, and that's just not enough words. And plus, so nobody knows. I'm sorry, but unless you're a Died in the Wolf fan, like, n- no mainstream moviegoer is going to know what the fuck Camp Blood is. No, but although it is pretty cool sounding. If you called a movie just Camp Crystal Lake, nothing else, no <gasps> two additional subtitles, just Ooh. Camp Crystal Lake, I guarantee you, like, that would spark enough of a recognition in people. Like, if they looked at that poster, they saw a hint of a hockey mask, boom, they know what they're in for. Then you could shed yourself of the Friday the 13th title and basically put the big dumb fucker in any time period you want. <laughs> I love that. I love just rebooting it and calling it Camp Crystal Lake. The CW series, I could be wrong. I believe it's going to be called Crystal Lake Chronicles, which is not great, but it's a little closer. I know. I really wanted us to cover it, and I don't know if we're going to now, but I really, really wanted to do the CWs because it's just like a true hybrid of all my interests, Teen TV and Jason Voorhees. I think they, at one point, I mean, it's kind of interesting to me, like CW's fascination with Jason Voorhees, where, yeah, they were going to have the Crystal Lake Chronicles. And at one point, I think Eric Kripke was going to, uh, they were going to build an episode around Jason Voorhees for Supernatural. So Sam and Dean Winchester were basically going to run afoul of Jason Voorhees at Camp Crystal Lake. And fuck, that would have been great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, just nothing ever happened with, uh, with that mm-hmm. TV show, which is a damn shame. I remember reading something somewhere where they were going to approach it like, it was going to be multiple time periods and it wasn't just going to be Jason Voorhees. It was going to be other dodgy things that had happened in that land throughout, you know, the years. And there was a, uh, there was a comic book. I think uh, the Friday the 13th uh, comic book series, that Wildstorm had put out probably a decade and a half ago. Now, my goodness, I'm getting old, but um, there was a two or four part series uh, called bad land. I think that was, it kind of did this Godfather part two thing where you're set in the present. Jason Voorhees is doing his thing, killing some kids, doing some kick, kick, kid, ma, ma, ma. And, uh, but there was another storyline that basically took place in the past on the same ground. And there was still a slasher aspect to it. And the idea is that there's a curse on this land that continually plays itself out as, you know, a series of brutal murders for anybody who runs afoul of the place. And Jason Voorhees is merely an agent of that curse. And I love that idea. And I wish that a TV show or I wish that a movie could tap into that idea. But uh, no, they just never did. No, they don't want to do anything cool or original. How dare you suggest such a thing? It does seem like someone at the CW and the development department 
was a Friday the 13th fan for a couple of years there before they were fired. So it at this point, around 2017, are these enemies of our of the pod did go on Twitter and shared a little bit more information about what this follow-up was going to look like. And this was the time where we learned that this was going to take place potentially in the snow. This was going to be one of the first, I think, one of the biggest potential scripts to place Jason Voorhees in the snow. I'm not 100% certain if the entire script was going to take place on a snowy landscape or if it was just going to be the first act. But it definitely was being pitched as Jason in the snow. And I think this was around one of the first times that fans started to get really ravenous to see Jason in the snow. Sorry, it just occurred to me that you mentioned whether, you know, it might possibly have only been in the first act. Could you imagine if we got a sequel to 2009 that started with another 27 minute long opening prologue? Could you imagine? Would you be mad? No. I'd love it. I'd I'd love to see that as like a new Friday the 13th staple. Just just make it an anthology. You know what? Tell me four different stories in a single movie. Just Jason stabbing a bunch of people, you know, in uh, four different time periods. Yeah. Or like a Shutter series. Can you imagine like a Pulp Fiction approach, but to Jason Voorhees? Yeah. Maybe we should talk about that some week. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I think maybe we should. Hint, hint. (laughs) A nudge, nudge. Um, But so after they posted, and I think they posted a couple of pages of the script, and we're going to get into that momentarily, it did seem like New Line Cinema were not so pleased with enemies of the pod, Shannon and Swift. And they were on quote saying that, uh, it's tricky. We posted some of the pages one year and we got some very serious letters from New Line Cinema's lawyers, but we still want to make it. And it's also not something we want spoiled. So it seems like New Line was not so thrilled with them posting it online. I wonder if Encosta got in trouble. Um, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. They, they, they all seem like badasses. I love that Antosca just threw his entire <laughs> script out there. I love yeah, that. I, yeah, I love that Shannon too. and Swift were, you know, at least they shared three pages, which by the way, I did run across, uh, if, uh, should oh, we, should we share? I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. Jenks, can you tell us about what happens? Okay. So with the three, I'm sorry, actually, technically it's four pages because they did share the, uh, the title page, all fucking 50 words of it. Uh, <laughs> Friday the 13th, Can't Blood the Death of Jason Voorhees. Okay. Um, no, but I mean, the three pages that they posted were actually pretty cool. Um, it's set on the lake, which has frozen over, which, uh, you know, again, calling back to our first episode and what Tom McLaughlin wanted to do with his sequel, which was actually have a chase on the ice and have somebody slip and fall and bust their ass uh, while Jason was chasing them. Curiously, the same thing happens here. So there are two guys. They're on the lake. They're named Tim and Ed. And, you know, I forgive them. Uh, but they're slapping the puck around. And at one point, one of them, uh, I believe it is Tim. He is skating around on the ice and he sees the frozen body of a dead woman just underneath the ice. And it's revealed that said girl is Whitney Miller, who is our heroine from the last movie, the woman that Jason grabs in the very last second of the movie. So they're basically saying that uh, Amanda Rigetti's character did, in fact, die 
uh, in that moment in the movie and that uh, her, her body basically stuck around in the lake all the way until, well, until winter. And you would think that I, unless he killed uh, Sam Winchester too, one wonders why, you know, people weren't warned away from this place and just showed up to play some ice hockey on the lake. Who knows? You know, I'm sure the movie would have explained it. I'm not sure about that at all. Uh, anyway, <laughs> while they are screwing around and they find the body behind them, a, uh, and I'll go ahead and read directly from it. <clears throat> okay. So in the script, it reads in the woods, a trap door in the snow slowly opens. And this is, you know, unbeknownst to either one of these guys. Right. And in the background, it's noted an imposing figure is standing on the edge of the frozen lake, maybe 30 yards away, watching him. Frozen breath pours out of the hockey mask on his face. How fucking cool is that? Like, I love that. So anyway, this guy, Ed. Okay, so on the ice, uh, this guy, Ed, he didn't realize that Jason was behind him, uh, eventually figures it out as his buddy Tim is shouting for him to get off the ice. And Ed tries to... Well, get to safety. And what occurs is basically a chase across the ice. And uh, <laughs> I love it first. Ed and Tim think that he's a guy who just wants to get in on playing hockey with him because he's wearing a hockey mask, uh, which might have made for a you know brief little fun moment. But uh, I think Ed tells him, well, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, don't have an extra stick. So and the script reads, and that's when Jason unearths his stick, a giant machete. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> um, so anyway, Ed watches in horror as Jason Voorhees does something he's never done before. He steps out on the Crystal Lake, heading toward him. Ed immediately scrambles to get the hell out of there and falls right on his ass. On the opposite shore, Tim stands, watching the horrible scene unfold from a safe distance. Anyway, so Jason is just straight up marching right for Ed. Ed is freaking the hell out. He can't get his footing. He keeps falling on his ass. And eventually, Jason catches up to him, and I'll read this part. Ed is up on his skates, Jason only a few feet behind him, but Ed's going to make it. Takes a smooth stroke with one leg, skating the hell out of there, and then he falls again for the last time. He pulls at the ice with his hands, trying to move, trying to escape. Tim screams, Ed! Jason pounces on Ed, slamming his machete into Ed's back. Thwock! Underneath the ice, we see Ed's silhouette from underneath as the machete goes all the way through him, cracking the ice, red blood blooming into the icy water. That's fucked up. It's beautiful. That's fucked up. And this up. is why Jason in the Snow needs to happen. It would be very cool. It would be super, super neat. Uh, the rest of the script goes on with Jason chasing Tim, and uh, yeah, Tim doesn't fare much better. He uh, he winds up tripping and falling and tumbling down an icy hill. At least, maybe that's why we all want to see a Jason Voorhees flick in the snow. So it finally justifies people tripping and falling constantly. It's slick. You know, it's it makes funny. sense now. Yeah, it's very self-aware in the Tom McLaughlin era of it all. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love blooming blood into the ice. Real good. Could have been neat. It could have been neat. I, I visually, I think it would be very cool. But uh, but yeah, so those were the pages that they leaked. And uh, apparently mm-hmm. New Line lost their shit over it. Um, yeah, I do think it's fascinating that they tried to go back to the 2009 movie. They tried to do a direct sequel with the original writers. After they had already tried rebooting it 
as a found footage movie, as the Nick Antoskis script. Like, it just seems like, you know, I, I know Friday fans, and I'm one of them. You know, we, we like to raise a little hell about the lawsuit that's kept Friday off the screens for so many years. But we have to remember that in all of the time since we've gotten a Friday the 13th movie last, like, a good half of that amount of time, like, has been dedicated towards you know, all of these various takes and new lines, just not knowing what the fuck. It's just kind of sad that like non-creatives are the ones that are in charge of these movies getting made or not made and creative people like in Costa and Shannon and Swift just kind of have to get lucky at the end of the day. It's really upsetting. And this is kind of how the industry works. Yeah. And it's a shame. Um, you know, so unfortunately though, I mean, I think that's pretty much all we know about Camp Blood, is it not? Yeah, that is about it. We also know that if it was this or whatever was the final, it um, whatever was the was the final iteration of this project was shut down only six weeks before it was going to camera. And according to the Hollywood Reporter back in 2017, uh, people involved with the project were also saying that the production just wasn't ready to go either. So it sounds like it was just a really troubled production on all fronts. That for whatever reason, being the failure of rings, be it the lawsuit, be it that the production itself was just not prepped, it just didn't happen. And to this day, we still have not seen a new Jason movie. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's really sad. Like, these are not complicated movies. Don't overthink them. Make them for 15 million bucks. Just stop being dicks. I don't know. I just feel like a lot of people are are just bad actors and <laughs> well, especially behaving. you know too when you get a decent take like one you know I I think Freddy versus Jason is a blast. We've talked about 2009. I'm sure that Swift and Shannon turned in a script for Camp Blood that was probably a lot of fun. You know, make the damn movie or my goodness, when you get a script of the caliber of like Nick Antoska's, you know, make the damn thing. But they didn't recognize it. They don't recognize they don't recognize talent when they see it. And I think that's part of the issue. Because if they did, the Nick and Costa script would have been produced. Yeah. It wasn't. Uh, yeah, so I, was really, I kind of want to summarize, because there's so many Jason movies, or potential Jason movies, to get placed in the snow. And so we were talking that, yeah, the first, it was Jason Never Dies was a snow one. We had the very ending of Nick and Costa's script was going to be potentially placed in the snow. We have uh, Camp Blood that was going to be potentially placed in the snow. And there's also the fan film, um, what's it called, Never Hike in the Snow, which was, I think, in itself a sequel to Never Hike Alone, the first fan film, is a snowy Jason moment. And uh, you can find that one online. Yeah, and it's uh, like the previous movie, too. I mean, Womp Stomp, they they do really marvelous fan films. Like, these are professional productions. These are, you know, if we're not getting New Line-funded Friday movies or, you know, actual, you know, studio releases, then these fan films are probably the best we're going to get. And they're pretty damn good. In yes, they are. Right. So, yeah, mm-hmm. for any fan out there, if you're kind of itching for more Jason and, uh, well, one, you're probably not going to get it for a while, but definitely seek out the Womp Stomp movies. Uh, seek out Never yeah. Hike Alone and Never Hike in the Snow, and I, I think you're going to dig them. 
And I believe they're in production right now or about to start production on Never Hike in the Snow 2. And I'm excited for them. And I hope that it goes well. You know what, New Line? When when you get your shit sorted out with the lawsuit and whatnot, and I know it's probably not New Line's fault, and who knows if it'll even... It'll probably go back to Paramount at this point, right? I mean, who knows? Uh-huh. Uh, but whoever, like, maybe look at the Womp Stomp guys. Give them a sizable budget, and uh, I imagine they'd make something pretty damned great. I think so, too. I think that, honestly, I'm not even picky at this point. I'd just like to see some more Jason on the screen. But I don't know. I think it's like maybe unlikely that it's ever going to happen. We're going to have to wait and see. Yeah. It, it, wouldn't it be amazing if the one thing that finally killed Jason Voorhees was a fucking lawsuit? <laughs> yeah. That's the one thing that keeps the bastard in his grave. It's, it's pretty funny. Uh, Jinx, do you think we're ever going to get to see Jason in the snow? Um, Jason in the snow? Yeah, uh, we yeah uh, almost, almost undoubtedly, at some point, that is going to happen. Yeah. Oh, well, that's beautiful. I love a little bit of hope on a Sunday night. So. Will it be Friday the Thirteenth? Can't blood the death of Jason Voorhees, the death of Michael Corleone, Electric Boogaloo, <laughs> uh, the curse of Michael Myers? I doubt it. Okay, you know? but yeah. uh, you know, hope springs eternal. We'll see. I love that, Jinx. Where can you be found online? Oh, uh, so you can find me on Twitter. Uh, that is at Jinx1981. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. That is at Jinx740941. Otherwise, you can find my writing at Bloody Disgusting, where I pen a column called Phantom Limbs that might be of interest to people who have an interest in uh, unmade horror movies and sequels and remakes and whatnot. Definitely, yes. Check out Phantom Limbs. It's a must. All right, well, thank you for listening to another episode of Development Hell, nay, the third part of Campus Cancelled. And don't forget to join in next week when we conclude with Campus Cancelled Part 4. Wait a second, Josh. Yeah. Before we go. All right. Do you think we're going to get a Jason in the Snow movie? I think it's like a 50-50 shot that we're ever even going to see Jason at all on the screen. And I think, so I'm going to break down the math. I think it's a 50-50 shot that Jason ever surfaces again. And I think if Jason ever surfaces again, it's like, I don't know, 25% chance that it's ever going to be in the snow. So I think it seems unlikely, but it's possible. I think I'm going to give it like a 15% likelihood. Fucking hell, that's that's not I great. know, it's pessimistic. It's Lawsuit. pessimistic. Lawsuits all like, Ch-ch-ch-ching-ching. No, that's terrible. <laughs> um, I'm gonna hit stop. Thank you so much for listening to Development Hell. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do us a major favor of leaving us five stars and writing a positive review. It really makes all the difference in the world. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode of Development Hell. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. 
Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.